0: this afternoon. Um, The scripture readings are all in connection with the last part of Lord's Day 21 Uh, that's uh, regarding the forgiveness of sins. Uh, So that will be the common thread that ties our, our various scripture readings together. And I want to focus particularly, I'll draw your attention to it now, um, on, on the way that the forgiveness of sins is a covenant promise. And what I mean by that is it's a promise that's attached to, to God's relationship with His people, uh, to, to, to them belonging to God. Uh, we want to see that uh, in these, these various Scripture readings. Our first reading comes from Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah 31, we'll read verses 27 through 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and the seed of beast. And it shall come to pass that as I have watched over them to pluck up and to break down, to overthrow, destroy, and bring harm, so I will watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. In those days they shall no longer say, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge, but everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Every man who eats sour grapes, his teeth shall be set on edge. Shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So far from Jeremiah, let's turn now to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 13. We'll read verses 13 through 43. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. and after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan he gave their land as an inher- he gave them their land as an inheritance all this took about 450 years and after that he gave them judges until samuel the prophet then they asked for a king and god gave them saul the son of kish a man of the tribe of benjamin for 40 years and when he had removed him he raised up david to be their king of whom he testified and said I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he has promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he, no, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize Him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning Him. And though they found in Him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have Him executed, And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people." You will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses." Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. So far from Acts 13, we'll also look briefly at Acts chapter 26, just a few verses and we see something similar in what Paul says there. Acts 26 verses 12 through 18, here Paul is uh, defending himself before King Agrippa, describing his conversion and how he came to be an apostle, Uh, talking about how he was persecuting the church And then in verse 12, he says, In this connection I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who had journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads." And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand up and stand upon your feet, for I have appointed you for this purpose, to appoint you, or I appear to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me, and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God and that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So far from Acts. And then finally, we'll turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3, also just a few verses, verses 18 through 22. but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to Him. So far, the reading of God's Word. As we reflect on all that we've read, let's sing together from Psalm 102, stanzas 1 and 5 through 8. Every Lord's Day in the afternoon service, we turn to the Heidelberg Catechism, the confession of this church, and a summary of the Christian faith. We find ourselves uh, this week for one last Sunday in Lord's Day 21, the very end of Lord's Day 21. Question and answer 56. There, the question is What do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? I believe that God, because of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins, nor my sinful nature, against which I have to struggle all my life, but will graciously grant me the righteousness of Christ, that I may never come into condemnation. So far, the Heidelberg Catechism. <clears throat> Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, as we've been working through the Apostles' Creed, uh, you're probably thinking, man, we've been for a long time in Lord's Day 21, and we have. Uh, We spent several weeks on the doctrine of the church, what it means, why why it matters. Uh, And now at the end of that study, we find ourselves at this very short phrase, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Now, this article has... as small and and almost unnoticeable as it might be, it has a surprisingly important history in the Apostles' Creed. Uh, So first of all, just a a, a moment of history on the Creed. Uh, The Apostles' Creed originally developed out of the the form for baptism uh, in the ancient church. Uh, The Lord Jesus commanded the disciples to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Uh, And what would happen is when someone was baptized, here I'm thinking of an adult convert, uh, they would would be brought forward and they would be asked, do you believe in God the Father? And they would say, I do. And then they would be immersed. And when they came out, they would be asked again, do you believe in uh, in, in Jesus Christ, God's only Son? They would say again, I do. And they would be baptized again. On the third question, though, they would be asked, do you believe in the Holy Spirit and the forgiveness of sins? And they would say, I do, and be baptized again. Uh, So, right from the very beginning, this article was part of uh, the the most ancient baptism formula that we know of. Uh, It was there in the Apostles' Creed, before the Apostles' Creed was even in uh, full existence as we know it today. It's right from the beginning. Now, that's important for us to observe because it tells us something about what was meant by this phrase, uh, I believe, in the forgiveness of sins. It isn't just a, a profession of faith in the idea that God forgives sins. It wasn't just a declaration that in the abstract I believe in the forgiveness of sins, uh, but rather it was a confession made on the part of the one being baptized. I believe that in this baptism my sins are being washed away. I believe in the forgiveness of my sins, uh, as is being shown in this moment. And that's interesting because then we recognize right from the apostles' days themselves, the forgiveness of sins is always something that was tied to the moment of baptism. There's a connection between these two things. You might think of uh, Peter's words at Pentecost in Acts 2, where Peter declared to the nations gathered, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, We see the same thing in the Nicene Creed. Perhaps you uh, remember how it's stated in the Nicene Creed. We recite that every uh, two months. Uh, The Nicene Creed, of course, comes from the Eastern tradition of the church. And the way it's expressed in the Nicene Creed is we acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. So, So there again, the two are Explicitly held together, baptism and forgiveness. Uh, That's then why this article is in the Creed also today. And that's why it's also attached to the doctrine of the church. That's why the Reformers also put this under Lord's Day 21, dealing with the church Uh, because it's in the church through baptism as you are grafted into the church that there you receive the forgiveness of sins. Uh, So that's what this article is declaring. We believe in the forgiveness of sins which we receive in our baptism. Now that leads to some challenging questions, uh, and I want to work through those this afternoon. First of all, is it right is it right to draw such a strong connection between baptism and forgiveness of sins? Does Scripture make that connection? Uh, and are there dangers in that? Does it lead to a sort of ritualism? We, we see this in other traditions where baptism is treated superstitiously as a, as a way of obtaining forgiveness. And are we suggesting the moment the water touches the baby that it sins are forgiven automatically. Uh, that's, that's one question. Is it proper to draw that kind of strong connection? Uh, secondly, we all know that baptism uh, is no absolute guarantee of final salvation. We know that because we know of individuals who've grown up uh, having been baptized and, and walked away from uh, that baptism. Uh, so... Uh, that being the case, uh, how do we work that out? If, if we are tying these two together, baptism and forgiveness, uh, how do we understand that? Uh, and then thirdly, uh, a, a related question is, how do you know that you have the forgiveness of sins? You know, if if the, the article is saying, I believe in the forgiveness of sins, and it's not just in the abstract, but it's, I believe that my sins are forgiven, it's worth asking the question, how do you know? What, on what basis can you say that? Now, in answer to, to the, the first question, is it right to tie forgiveness to baptism? We we can turn to scripture. We've already seen uh, from the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost, "Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins." Uh, so there, it's clearly a baptism for or unto forgiveness. Uh, and that scripture text is, is far from alone. Uh, there are a great deal of other texts that make the same connection. We read earlier from 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, where Peter even says, Baptism saves you. And we'll talk about that in, in a moment. What does Peter mean uh, by that? But clearly, he makes a connection between being baptized and being saved, being forgiven of your sins. Well, to understand this, we need to recognize the New Testament is written in an Old Testament world. The New Testament's written in an Old Testament world. Uh, and in the Old Testament, the forgiveness of sins is a covenant promise. That's what we... Uh, hopefully saw in, in some of our readings. It's a promise that's attached to the covenant. Uh, now, it was already anticipated in the old covenant. All the sacrifices uh, were, were commanded for the covenant people pointing to their sins being forgiven in the blood of the Lamb, uh, pointing to Jesus Christ. Uh, you might think of the blood of the covenant Uh, Jesus uses that phrase in the Lord's Supper, but He takes it from Exodus chapter 24, where the, the blood of the covenant was sprinkled over the people for their forgiveness. Forgiveness is a covenant promise. It's a promise that belongs to God's covenant people. Uh, and, and it's a covenant promise that is especially anticipated when we get to the, the prophets of the Old Testament. Uh, we read earlier from Jeremiah 31, uh, where God promises, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the old covenant. Uh, and that new covenant contains two basic promises. Uh, number one, I will, I will write my law on their hearts which God does through His Spirit so that they will all know Me. And secondly, I will forgive their sins. I will remember their sins no more. The great two promises of the new covenant, the Spirit and the forgiveness of sins. Uh, Exactly as as Peter also says, uh, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The two new covenant promises. Uh, now, that promise was, of course, bound with the coming of Christ. Uh, the new covenant cannot take place until Christ uh, had come and had died and had atoned for the sins of God's people. Uh, if we understand that Old Testament context we can better understand what peter means when he says uh, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the holy spirit there you have those those two promises that belong in the new testament also for the covenant people as peter says the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. Uh, that's the promise of forgiveness and the promise of the Spirit. Uh, so we can then understand how forgiveness was tied to baptism. Baptism is the sign of the covenant. It's a sign of belonging to God. That's why Jesus teaches us to baptize into the name of God, into the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Uh, It's a sign that you now belong to God. It takes the place of circumcision as as that sign. Uh, So it's not for nothing then that the early church tied these two things together. They weren't doing that out of superstition. Uh, They weren't uh, inventing a new way of thinking about forgiveness. They were speaking in biblical language. Now, you see this in many other places in the New Testament as well. We read earlier from Acts 13 where Paul is uh, preaching in in Antioch of Pisidia in the synagogue, uh, which, of course, the Jewish synagogue, God's covenant people. Uh, And he says, Men of Israel and you who fear God. So he's encompassing the covenant people. the the people of Israel, and the God-fearing Gentiles. Uh, He speaks to the covenant people, uh, describes all that God has done for them, saving them from Egypt, bringing them into the land, destroying the seven nations uh, in in the land, uh, and and showing how all of these things come to fulfillment in Christ, the son of David. And then he comes to his conclusion, and listen carefully to his conclusion uh, in Acts 13, verse 38, he says, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from that which you could not be freed from by the law of Moses. Uh, Forgiveness of sins is a promise for God's covenant people through Christ. Uh, It is the fulfillment, as Paul presents it, the fulfillment of all that God had promised in the Old Testament. And we see the same thing in Acts chapter 26. There he's talking about his conversion, how he came to be a Christian and and an apostle. Uh, And he he recounts the Lord Jesus' words to him, uh, where Jesus says, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and the power of Satan to God and may receive... Forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now think of that last phrase. That they may receive a place among those who are sanctified by faith. What's that referring to? It's referring to the covenant. A place among God's people. That the Gentiles may also receive that place and with that the promise of forgiveness. Uh, so, uh, what we want to see is this tie that is drawn uh, to the formal covenant between God and His people. Belonging to God uh, is is the way uh, to forgiveness of sins. Uh, it's bound up with membership among God's people. Uh, so, it's not surprising then that Scripture draws such a strong connection between baptism and Forgiveness, so that we can even speak of, as the Nicene Creed does, a baptism unto the forgiveness of sins. Now, there's no superstition there. The idea is not that the water uh, automatically makes you forgiven. the The idea is that that is God's sign that you belong to God's people, and there, among God's people, you have the forgiveness of sins. Uh, We see this in uh, some of Paul's letters as well. We worked through Colossians last year. uh, And and there in Colossians, Paul makes a big deal out of belonging to Christ. Uh, You're part of a new kingdom. We saw then how we live kingdom down, not not culture up. Uh, We belong to Christ. And there with Christ, Paul also teaches us we have the forgiveness of sins. Colossians 1 verse 13. Uh, He's delivered us from the domain of darkness... And transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Again, belonging to Christ, that's where the promise of forgiveness is found. Uh, and it's in that light that I want to look also at the last text that we uh, read from First Peter chapter three. That's a very difficult text. Uh, and we won't we won't work through every detail. You can uh, take this as a as a, a taster for what's coming in the in a series on First Peter. Uh, so we can't get to everything, uh, but I want to look at how he talks about baptism. Uh, he he's, he speaks of uh, the the days of Noah. Uh, in the days of Noah, they, they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. And not as a removal of dirt from the body, he goes on to say, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection In other words, baptism points to the resurrection of Jesus, uh, and and it's because of that that you stand before God with a good conscience, your sins being forgiven. Uh, Now, pay attention to the analogy that Peter draws. He speaks of Noah and his family, eight persons saved through water, uh, and says baptism corresponds to that. Uh, so what's the idea? Well, the idea is the ark uh, in which Noah and his family dwelt for, the, for those days was the place of safety. It was the place of salvation. If you were on the ark, you could say, I am saved. Even though the flood waters weren't gone, uh, you were in a place of safety. Uh, we can say the ark was the salvation of Noah and his family. Uh, Peter says, baptism is like that. It's the place of salvation. You're added to God's people. You belong in God's covenant. And there you have the forgiveness of your sins. Now, that is strong language, isn't it? Uh, I wonder uh, how many people, how many Protestants anyway today could get away with that kind of language uh, to say baptism saves you. And we recognize, oh, there's there's dangers uh, in speaking that way. Uh, but what Peter is saying, and what the Holy Spirit, of course, is saying through him, uh, is baptism like the ark, is the place where you are safe. it's the place where you are saved from your sins. Uh, now now Peter does very quickly go on to make sure you don't get the wrong idea. and say, it's not like water. Uh, It's not the water that has any power uh, in itself. Water just removes dirt from the body. That's all that water by itself can do. You can bless it with a priest, and it will still do the same thing. It's just water. But in baptism, it symbolizes something much greater. Uh, it, It speaks to the resurrection of Christ, by which we are brought through death to new life in God's people. Uh, so I'll say it once, once more then. Uh, it's not for nothing that the earliest Christians, at the hour of their baptism, expressed it this way Do you believe in the, in the, in the Holy Spirit and the forgiveness of sins? And then they said, I do and were baptized. Uh, the forgiveness is attached to that baptism. Now that uh, leads us to the, the second question we want to investigate Is baptism then a guarantee? Uh, that one has the forgiveness of sins. Uh, Because we all know counter examples, don't we, where where someone was baptized uh, and strayed from the faith. Uh, So it cannot be a guarantee, we we would be quick to point out. Well, again, the the analogy that Peter gives us of the ark is a helpful analogy. Uh, On the one hand, yes, baptism, like the ark, is the place of safety, the guarantee of, of salvation as long as you're on the ark. As long as you're living there on the ark, you are safe. Noah and his children could affirm with all confidence, I'm saved. I'm safe. Uh, 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 We've been delivered. Uh, The ark was the, the, the sure guarantee of that salvation. But that obviously doesn't mean that Noah or one of his sons could not have jumped off the ark. Just like one can abandon and break the covenant. Uh, And if they did, of course, they most certainly would have perished. Well, So it is with baptism. It's given to you as the sure sign of your salvation. If you are here, if you are in the covenant, uh, you are safe. You're in the place of God's safety. You do not have to fear God's judgment. But that doesn't mean it's not possible to jump overboard. Uh, to forsake the covenant. And of course, those that do most certainly will perish. Uh, And acknowledging that does not detract in any way from the safety of that uh, covenant place. Uh, When we say, I believe in the forgiveness of sins, we can say that with confidence that that's something I have. That's something God has given me and I possess. Uh, You can say that while recognizing that one can forsake all of those covenant promises jump overboard and you would most certainly perish uh, nor uh, in, in case you're thinking along these lines nor does that mean uh, that some someone couldn't stay on board while working against that salvation, uh, one can maintain good status in the church and, and avoid being uh, excommunicated while secretly living a life of hypocrisy and rebellion. And of course, baptism is no guarantee of safety to them either. Uh, you've nothing to gain by saying, you know, ha! God didn't catch me; I got away with it. But no, God is God is not mocked. Uh, God will, at the end of the day, weed the tares out of the wheat field, uh, and, and those tares are there. Uh, So, nothing is gained by outwardly staying in the covenant while inwardly living uh, against it. Uh, But that should not detract from our sense of safety within the covenant. It really is the place where you are forgiven. That's the place where God has openly, outwardly attached his promise of forgiveness. Live In the covenant, as one who belongs to the covenant, and you have no need to fear. Uh, Confess your sins as one belonging to the covenant. Fight uh, against sin as one who's received God's grace. Rest in God's grace. Uh, Pray to your Heavenly Father. Live as one who belongs uh, here on the ark, here in the covenant, and you have the forgiveness of sins. Uh, you, you can confess, as the Christians did of old, I believe in, the, in, in baptism for the forgiveness of my sins as something that I have, something I have been given. Uh, and you can do that without fear of judgment. Uh, so the forgiveness of sins, then, as we've seen, is a gift that's bound up together in uh, the, the covenant. Uh, those who continue in the covenant under the grace of God uh, may live with the Full assurance of their father's love because it's been given to them and sealed for them in their baptism. They are forgiven. At the same time, uh, those who who dwell in the covenant while living against it still have every reason to fear. James says, uh, you who know the right thing to do and do not do it, for you it is sin." Uh, You who know what you need to confess uh, and have not confessed it, you're living in sin. Uh, Those who who refuse to give it up have every cause for fear, every reason to be afraid. Uh, God is not mocked. There there will be nothing gained uh, by so living. But that should not take the comfort away from those uh, who are living in God's grace. Those who do confess their sins and do turn to their Father. Uh, uh, So when we confess, I believe in the forgiveness of sins, uh, here's what it comes down to. Uh, That should not be a mysterious, unattainable assurance. It should not be something that uh, you you hope one day you'll have that assurance. It's something God gives you to have through your baptism with full confidence. Uh, God has made it concrete and simple. How do you know that you have the forgiveness of your sins? Because you're in God's covenant and living accordingly. Uh, You're under God's grace. So fear not. You have forgiveness of your sins. You have salvation. You are loved. By your heavenly Father. Uh, and it's not, uh, it, it's, it, that assurance is not only given uh, to us to, to, to calm our fears, but also to strengthen us and, and encourage us as we seek to go forward in the fight against sin. Now, We will never grow in love for God while living under fear of God's judgment. Uh, how could you? How can you love the God uh, who daily threatens you uh, with, with help? Uh, We don't grow uh, under that kind of of, of fear. We grow under the knowledge and assurance of God's love. And that's why he gives it in plain, simple terms. Uh, We grow in righteousness under the, 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 the knowledge of God's love in Christ, which is given to us in baptism, through which we can say, I have, and I know I have, the forgiveness of sins through Christ. Amen. Let's respond to God's word by singing from hymn 18.